One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello the world, this is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I'm Courtney Eck. And we are happy to be here with you woo, today. Woo, woo. Yeah. It's Courtney's night. So sure buckle is. up. Let's do it. Well, not only is it a Courtney night, which doesn't mean anything, but <laughs> this story was written by our dear, dear Megan Glenn. Yes. And it's fucking awesome. And uh. it was recommended by our best friend and soul brother, Clint. And was inspired by his husband, Lee Kyle's obsession with this case. So, this is a family affair. Tonight belongs to everyone. (laughs) And everyone gets to claim Richard W. Rogers Jr., the last call killer. Part one is New York motherfucking city. So a tourist arriving at New York's JFK airport in the 1970s would be advised to stay away from, quote, fear city at all costs. 1980s New York City answered the 70s with record homicides and a crack and heroin infestation. Fun. Fun. Not to be outshined, the 90s kicked off with even higher violent crime rates, the first three years threatening to unleash the most heinous decade Gotham had seen yet. It was almost as if the city was purging itself before, quote, one of the greatest urban revitalizations in American history occurring in the latter half of the 90s. Hmm. I didn't realize it was still bad in the 90s. I had no idea. No, I thought by like 87, it was on the up. Right. Like, when did we go there as children? Uh, Probably like 87. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty rough. (laughs) I was so obsessed with seeing a punk rocker and our aunt guaranteed me that I would see a punk rocker. Nary a punk rocker was seen. Not one. Sorry, Court. I'll be alright eventually. (laughs) Childhood trauma is hard. (laughs) But what you could also find in New York in the late 80s and early 90s was a merging of every personality type imaginable, cultivating what was arguably the most fascinating nightlife scene to date. Michael Alig and his club kids were running the underground party scene. CBGB was hosting the most famous names in hardcore punk history. Christopher Wallace was becoming Biggie Smalls, was becoming the notorious B.I.G., was becoming a central figure in East Coast hip-hop. 
Steve Eichner, quote, a fixture of 1990s New York City nightlife, serving as both its unofficial and official photographer in an era before cell phones and selfies, describes it as follows, quote, it was everything you have seen and can imagine, from drug use to sex everywhere, I saw it all. Everyone was less guarded. It was truly about having fun. No one was doing selfies and pretending. New York was affordable, and all walks of life partied together in the clubs. Artists and bankers and celebs and drag queens and musicians and poets. And I, Courtney Ett, could not be more jealous that I wasn't born just slightly earlier so that I could have experienced it. Yes. The lurking threat of falling victim to a violent crime unfortunately wasn't the only cause of fear among locals. New York City was impacted by the AIDS epidemic more than any other U.S. city at this time. By the end of the 1980s, AIDS had become, quote, the leading cause of death in New York City for men between the ages of 25 to 44, fueling the general public opinion that it was a, quote, gay man's disease. Panic, bigotry, and homophobia peaked not only in the city, but across the country, and, quote, suspected carriers of the so-called gay disease faced rampant discrimination. If there was any reprieve to be offered from the gloom focused so pointedly at one group, it could often be found at the upscale but nondescript piano bars throughout the borough, many owned and operated by those that identified with the gay community. And Clinton Lee Kyle actually took me to one of the last standing piano bars in the West Village called Marie's Crisis, and it's as amazing and even more amazing than you can imagine. (laughs) They provided a brief escape from the turmoil and judgment outside, a sanctuary to relax over cocktails with friends, listen to music, be yourself. An opportunity to connect with a new love interest might even present itself if you were lucky. But if you weren't so lucky... You might find yourself ordering one more round after the bartender had declared last call, after the buzz of social excitement was replaced by the buzz of too much alcohol, in the company of a soft-spoken, neatly dressed, by all accounts, average-looking man named Richard Rogers. I I would not like to find myself in his company. No, thank you. Part two, Beware the Unremarkable Man. The first of five siblings, Richard W. Rogers Jr. was born in 1950 in Plymouth, Massachusetts to working-class parents. His father was a lobster fisherman, mom a telephone worker. The family relocated to Florida in the 1960s, where Richard led a quiet and unremarkable life. He completed an undergraduate degree in the early 70s and then pursued a degree in French, attending graduate school at the University of Maine. Don Cubberly which is an adorable name. One of Roger's first college roommates described him as, quote, mild-mannered, quiet, and well-dressed, with a marine-like attention to neatness. Quote, the guy I knew, he wouldn't hurt that cockroach that was on his suitcase. I don't think he'd have a cockroach on his suitcase if he had a marine-like <laughs> attention to neatness, but... Well, you never know. I don't I think that's the point of this story. After Don and Richard parted ways, Richard found a new roommate in 22-year-old Frederick Spencer. Side note alert, it's important to mention that whether or not Rogers identified as gay or had come out to any friends and family at this time is unknown, but Cubberly recalls the two men as being, quote, attached at the hip and suspected by others as, quote, probably gay. 
It was in 1973 that the unexceptional Richard Rogers seemingly defied his bland persona and caught the attention of law enforcement by murdering Frederick Spencer. What? (laughs) That's right. Wow. Ya neat freak boy killed his roommate and supposed close companion. Wow. He just killed him. (laughs) He wrapped Spencer's body in a nylon tent, which he then discarded on a deserted road off Route 116 in Old Town, Maine. Wow. The body was found a few days later when a couple of bicyclists were traveling along the route. Two weeks later, Rogers was arrested in connection with the murder, admitting to police that he was, in fact, responsible for Spencer's death, but that he'd acted in self-defense after his roommate came at him with a hammer upon being caught rummaging through Rogers' belongings. Mm -hmm. Likely Likely fucking story. He was allegedly able to wrestle the hammer away and bludgeon him eight times, ending the man's life. Mm -mm. He figured the only reasonable next step was to discard the body like trash. (sighs) Quite unbelievably, he was able to convince a jury that he was acting in self-defense and, quote, six months later, Rogers was acquitted of manslaughter at Penascot County Superior Court. Wow. Just like that. Fucking psychopath. So the attack and murder of Frederick Spencer gained little media attention and Rogers was free to move on with his life, which is just what the damn fuck. That is crazy. How old is he at this point? Uh, I don't know. Early 20s-ish, late middle 20s. Yeah. Young. Young. Right. So like normal upbringing, chill dude, kind of maybe a little OCD murder. Pursuing French in Maine murder right. with hammer <laughs> uh, yeah and everyone's this isn't like gonna go well this is no. not going well at all no and imagine you just smash your roommate to death and a jury's like yeah probably was self-defense that seems reasonable goodbye have a nice life what the fuck right? because they look at his french and maine and they're like that's the only option this guy wouldn't just kill somebody for fun yeah right? but if somebody was coming after you with a hammer you'd just like give him a shove or you know, maybe if you're lucky, you get the hammer away from him. I mean, give him a whack and you run away. If you're a normal mm-hmm. person, you know, if right. you're just like a French, a French student, that's what you do. You don't <laughs> smack him eight times with a hammer. No. Right? No. Anyway. Shortly after his acquittal, he moved to New York City to go to nursing school. Obviously, Megan said. <laughs> <laughs> He was licensed as an RN by the New York State Department of Education in 1979 and was hired shortly after by the prestigious Mount Sinai Medical Center. Quote, he eventually became a surgical nurse and later worked in the pediatric ward caring for children with heart conditions. Oh, no. And then all caps, I repeat, he worked in the pediatric (laughs) ward caring for children. (laughs) That's so scary. Just fucking forget about it. Co-workers referred to him as a, quote, gentle healer of children with tremendous empathy. He bought a home in Staten Island where neighbors knew him to be very helpful. One man said, quote, Richard was the kind of neighbor that everyone wished to have, while another described him as, quote, a normal and thoughtful person with goals in his life, good habits, and a good social life. Seemingly, no one had any clue that this painfully ordinary man could have been capable of further terrorizing an already terrorized community, violating the refuge of Manhattan's piano bars to prey on, brutally murder, dismember, 
and discard in literal trash bags the bodies of men he approached at the end of a night out once they were too intoxicated to defend themselves. Monster. No one had any clue that he was the monster the public would come to name the last call killer. As if it wasn't frustrating enough that Rogers could have been stopped had the outcome of Frederick Spencer's 1973 trial gone the opposite way, law enforcement was all but handed a second opportunity to take this beast out in the summer of 1988. Rogers allegedly lured 47-year-old Manhattan resident Fred Lero to his Staten Island home where he drugged, repeatedly beat, and sexually assaulted him. Lero woke up tied to Rogers' bed, but was fortunately able to escape and contact the NYPD. Despite being charged with first-degree unlawful imprisonment and second-degree assault, in 1990 he was once again acquitted... This time in a non-jury trial, his record then expunged and his fingerprints disposed of. What? Why was he acquitted? Because it was 1988 and he was gay and the other guy was gay and nobody gave a fuck about gay people wow. in the late 80s and early 90s. And that For sucks. a long, long time. Yeah, man. Super sucks. That poor guy, man. The victim. That's awful. It's nightmarish. Part three, missing from Manhattan. So the Townhouse Bar on East 58th Street is an upscale restaurant and piano bar often frequented by gay male clientele. Rick Unterberg was the piano player in the early 90s who remembers seeing Richard Rogers at the bar often as he would sometimes sing Broadway show tunes. He described him as a, quote, delicate, soft person, very quiet and very gentle, as well as dull and bland. (laughs) I'm picturing sort of like a, a BTK look same actually you know what? it's funny i didn't look this guy up i meant to earlier i'm gonna look at a picture of him oh no he's kind of cute he looks like a dad oh yeah total dad yes eyes are spooky though black eyes <laughs> total black eyes <sighs> okay uh, but yeah no totally like tim allen looking almost yeah like darker hair totally it's very it's very staten island like very whatever <laughs> Peter S. Anderson was a 54-year-old investment broker from Philadelphia, a father of two, and recently separated from his wife after coming out as a gay man. While in Manhattan for a political fundraiser in early May of 1991, he stopped at the townhouse bar for a drink. He was last seen on the night of May 3rd, leaving his hotel room visibly drunk. A few days later, a Pennsylvania Turnpike maintenance worker was emptying trash cans at a rest area when he made a horrific discovery. Trigger warning for sexual mutilation. Hmm. Inside, several garbage bags that had been stuffed into the cans were horribly mutilated body parts of a middle-aged man. Quote, according to court documents, his body exhibited gaping wounds to his chest and his penis had been cut off and placed in his mouth. It wouldn't be long before police identified the remains as belonging to Peter Anderson. Thomas R. Mulcahy was a 57-year-old computer sales representative from Massachusetts, a father of four, and husband to Margaret Mulcahy. Though married, he was sometimes known to have affairs with men. Thomas traveled to Manhattan in early July 1992 to give a business presentation at the World Trade Center. On the evening of July 8th, he was spotted leaving the townhouse bar with a man witnesses described as, quote, about 5 foot 10, medium brown hair, average looking. 
two days later, a Garden State Parkway maintenance employee picked up a discarded garbage bag as he was cleaning up the Stafford Forge rest area in New Jersey when Thomas Mulcahy's head spilled out. Oh, God. Uh, that is a bad day at work. Yes. It's <laughs> not a good day anyway. You're picking up everybody's garbage. Like, come on. That's awful. Area. God. The rest of his very neatly dismembered body, quote, was found in a 55-gallon trash container at a rest stop in Route 72 in Woodland Township. His cause of death was later determined to be, quote, multiple stab wounds to the chest and stomach. Richard Rogers reportedly stopped visiting the townhouse bar around the same time Mulcahy's remains were discovered in New Jersey. Anthony E. Marrero was a 44-year-old sex worker with an arrest record for pandering and solicitation. He was born in Puerto Rico and grew up in Philadelphia. He had little connection to family as an adult. After failing to hold down several menial jobs, he eventually found himself in Manhattan making a living through sex work. Known to occasionally linger around gay bars, Anthony would most often be found working in Midtown, His last known sighting was May 6, 1993, near the Port Authority bus terminal. Four days later, his dismembered body parts were discovered in New Jersey in, quote, six trash bags off Crow Hill Road in Manchester Township. Anthony's cause of death was determined to be as a result of multiple stab wounds. A local reporter observed, quote, no one notified police Marrero was missing, and no one has come forward since the discovery of his body to say they knew him. Oh, that's so sad. So fucking sad. When I moved to San Diego in 1997, there was a coffee shop in Hillcrest called David's Place. I don't know if it's still there, but at the time, it was 100% nonprofit for people with AIDS. Mm-hmm. And at the time... It was still so stigmatized, and every Saturday you could go, and they would provide all of the flower, like the makings to make flower arrangements, and we would go and arrange flowers and then deliver them to AIDS patients who didn't have family visiting them. Ugh, that's so sad. <sighs> yeah, so fucking sad. Feels like so long ago and so recent at the same time. Right. Yeah. It really does. Michael J. Sicaro was a 56-year-old typesetter for the New York Law Journal, an openly gay man living in Manhattan, and a beloved regular at the Five Oaks Piano Bar in Greenwich Village. A comparison of Sicaro was made to Norm from Cheers. He came in every night except Monday, sat at the same spot at the bar, ordered the same drink, sang the same song every evening. Over the years, he had grown quite close with some of the long-term staff, especially a bartender, Lisa Hall, who had first become acquainted with Michael in 1976. In the early hours of July 30, 1993, 15 minutes before the bar was to close, Hall recalls a man she had guessed to be in his early 30s with thick wavy brown hair and, quote, dark glassy eyes, mm-hmm. entering the bar and taking a seat next to her friend. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'd be like, get the fuck out of my bar. This is a no dark glassy eyes zone. Seriously. Get out of here, black eyed f- fucking demon. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's one way to do I'm it. just yeah. a nurse from Staten Island. Nope. I, I, <laughs> this struck her as particularly odd as the establishment was now nearly empty. 
Though the man wasn't familiar to her, she assumed Michael knew him when he introduced him as a, quote, nurse from the nearby St. Vincent's Hospital before Ooh. the two were allegedly seen getting in a car together. But don't forget, our boy Roger works at Mount Sinai. Shit. Hardly 24 hours had passed when a man collecting bottles and cans at a Havistraw Bay rest area in New York found a briefcase and a bag holding clothing and a wallet containing the identity of Michael J. Sakara of Manhattan. About three hours later, a hot dog truck owner arrived at his cart and noticed that his trash barrels were far more full than he had left them. Hoping to find clues to identify the illegal dumping culprit, in parentheses, you do not fuck with a New Yorker's trash can. (laughs) (laughs) No way. He opened a foreign green plastic trash bag. In it, he found probably the worst thing you could find in a green plastic trash bag. A very visible face staring up at him. Oh, no. I might pass out. (laughs) God. And now I can't. No. Just the thought is enough to make me pass out. my pants. Yeah. Yeah. It's. No. Makes me dizzy. He, in parentheses, somehow (laughs) continued to look through more bags Finding, yes, finding fingers and a set of arms that he noted, quote, were cut nice and even like butchering a cow. No, 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 a face and I'm out and I'm done. And you call the police and that's the end of that. Give it to a New Yorker to be like, what else can I find? I need to, I need to get to the bottom of this. Yep. It's pretty fucked up that I just, there's a man's face staring up at me from inside of my trash bin, but nobody's to stop me from just exploring my trash you know it's a very new yorker (laughs) the remains were so fresh that it took law enforcement no time at all to make the connection to michael sakara's id that had been found earlier in the day wow i mean good for them to be able to connect the pieces so quick seriously and thank god they found all these bodies i just think about like a 55 gallon trash bin i mean that's not that big but that's big enough that why would you ever find a body in it at a rest stop you know right it's remarkable part four the bags held clues so how what span of time was it how many years a lot of them (laughs) a very very long time uh, okay, so I'm just trying to figure out how yeah. frequently. He'd started in the mid-80s, early mid-80s, and you'll see it goes on for a really fucking long time. Oh, we're not done. No, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> Though the four victims had been found in three different states, two in New Jersey, one in New York, and one in Pennsylvania, a pattern had emerged, and a task force that included members from all three areas was formed. Thank God. Yeah. Quote, the four cases shared both murder and disposal methods, and the victims fit the same profile, middle-aged gay men. Faint fingerprints were found on the garbage bags containing remains from Anderson, Mulcahy, and Marrero, oddly not Sakara, but technology in 1993 didn't lead law enforcement to a database match. Additionally, quote, saw blades and surgical gloves found with Mulcahy's remains were traced to stores on Staten Island, as were the trash bags used to dispose of Marrero. A promising lead was also provided by Sakara's friend, Lisa Hall, from Five Oaks. She was able to give police a description of the man she had served and seen with Michael the night he disappeared, the supposed St. Vincent's nurse. 
Flyers were distributed throughout the hospital, and wildly enough, they found a match. The man closely resembling the sketch was not only a nurse at the hospital, but also lived on Staten Island. However, after testing his fingerprints and confirming alibis for every one of the dates attached to the murders, the man, whose name we won't mention, even though it has been made public, because damn, that must have been hell, (laughs) was positively cleared of any involvement. Oh, good. The suspect that had been with Michael that night had obviously lied about his place of employment. Imagine how fucking close that guy came to spending the rest Uh of his life in jail. Just because Michael was smart enough at the moment, or not Michael, sorry, Roger was smart enough to lie to Michael in the moment. Right. And then this guy, (laughs) God, yikes, no, no. Despite narrowing down the location of the suspected killer and finding latent fingerprints on some of the evidence at the dumping sites, the case went cold by the end of 1993. Damn it. But badass Margaret Mulcahy, Thomas Mulcahy's widow, was like, "Uh uh-uh, not good enough. (laughs) Good. In 1999, she pressed New Jersey State Police for updates to her husband's case. Detectives credit her for giving them the, quote, kick in the pants they needed to revive the task force, along with the fact that advances had been made in forensic technology and the internet was making it easier for departments across the country to communicate. The Toronto Police Department had begun using cutting-edge fingerprint technology, and with their help, the New Jersey Police Department was able to produce 17 fingerprints from the trash bags containing Thomas Mulcahy's remains, that matched fingerprints found at the Marrero crime scene. Holy shit. I know. Good. That's a lot of fingerprints. That's a lot of fingerprints. What they didn't have, still, was a match in the state database. This prompted Lieutenant Matthew Kuhn of the New Jersey State Police to send out, quote, 51 packets in the year 2000 with the prints and an explanation of the case to authorities in every state and Puerto Rico and ask them to check their databases. Wow. I know. Thank you. so much work. (laughs) Lieutenant Matthew Kuhn. Seriously? Yes. In early 2001, he received the call he had been waiting for, the call that the victim's family's friends community had been waiting for since 1991. Quote, we got him. Yeah, we do. Where did that call come from, you ask? None other than the home of Richard Rogers' alma mater, Maine, United States of America. Turns out Maine law stipulates that fingerprints must be kept on file even if a defendant is found not guilty. Thank good. God. Even though they're like, yeah, you killed a guy, it's fine. Have a good life. Goodbye. Yeah, enjoy New York. Almost 30 years after his gruesome and tragic death, Frederick Spencer gets an ounce of justice. Good. And thank you to the Earth Angels that preserved those prints so damn well. Seriously. (sighs) Part 5. The Arrest, the Trial, the Uncertainty of it All. By 2001, Richard Rogers had been working at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Manhattan for over 22 years a model employee with no infractions on his record to speak of. Wow. Laura was just in the hospital for a week, which is why things got a little backed up in our posting of our podcasts. And um, the idea that your nurse is a fucking serial killer? No. 
No. Eyes wide emoji? Yes. Uh-uh. No. Nope. So it was there on May 28th that investigators approached him. Oh, and Laura's fine. She had a really bad case of diverticulitis. Do not fuck with diverticulitis or you'll spend a week in the hospital. And it's very uncool, but she's fine. <laughs> So it was there on May 28th that investigators approached him for questioning under the guise that he had been the victim of credit card fraud. He was noted to be, quote, very polite at the time, very cooperative. But when detectives revealed that they were actually investigating the homicides of four men that he was linked to and showed him photos of the four victims, Rogers requested counsel. Mm -hmm. He was taken into custody and held on $1 million bail. (laughs) It should be like... (laughs) I know. No bail. A billion dollars bail. Yeah. So stupid. A search conducted at Rogers' Staten Island home would provide further evidence for the prosecution. Investigators recovered a sedative known to be used as a date rape drug, rug fibers consistent with those found with Thomas Mulcahy's body, and most disturbingly, Polaroids of nearby construction workers with what appear to be hand-drawn stab wounds. Ew. This case Uh-oh. gives me every kind of shiver. No, oh, it's like a movie. That's so scary. Yeah, they can't help themselves. It's just like no. the murder scrapbooks. They just oh. can't help themselves. Possibly the most damning evidence outside of the fingerprints came when detectives confirmed with Roger's employer that he was absent from work on and around the dates of all four murders. The fact that remains had been found in different states complicated jurisdiction matters. Quote, investigators from various agencies had to compare evidence and run numerous tests. A trial date wouldn't come until 2005. Wow. I moved to Portland in 2005. Like, Mm -hmm. so many things happened. Right. No. You know? That's a very long time. It was ultimately decided that Ocean County prosecution would lead the charge as the strongest evidence was tied to the two victims found in New Jersey, meaning Rogers would only have to face charges in the deaths of Thomas Mulcahy and Anthony Marrero. Hmm. In what some, in parentheses me, considered a puzzling move, prosecution offered Rogers a plea deal before jury selection began that would, quote, downgrade the two murder charges to aggravated manslaughter. What? Saying they would recommend concurrent 30-year prison terms with parole eligibility after serving 15 years. I'm sorry. If... Nope. Kidding me? If he admitted to killing Mr. Mulcahy, Mr. Marrero, and Mr. Anderson... Additionally, he would not be charged in the death of Mr. Sakara. No. Prosecution never revealed why they did this, but in an even more puzzling move than the plea offer itself, Rogers declined the deal. What? I don't know. Is happening. I don't know. Like aggravated fucking manslaughter? Are you kidding me? Yeah, you just want this guy to go murder people? He's got, he got four bodies, four dead men with fucking families and children and people who love them. Yeah. No. Aggravated manslaughter. No. My butthole. The trial began on October 27th, 2005. Megan says, writer's note, 
When I first read about the plea deal, my thoughts initially went to the prosecution doesn't think a jury will value the lives of two gay men and Rogers will be released without punishment for a third time. Mm-hmm. Valid. But considering that this was a murder trial with no known motive, heavily based around fingerprints and vacation days, maybe there was more to it. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, stabby pictures, though, Court. I know. Lock him up. I know. Somewhat shockingly, the judge allowed the prosecution team, quote, to present evidence from the murders of Mr. Sakara and Mr. Anderson to show what they considered a pattern. Yeah, it is weird that they would present evidence from other cases. Mm -hmm. The defense called no witnesses after... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. Yeah, we got nothing. After a four-week trial, it took only four hours of deliberation for the jury to return with a guilty verdict. Big surprise. Yeah. On January 27th, 2006... Also, he he declined that plea deal. That plea deal was offered in the early, like, mid-2000s. So things were getting better for us queers around then. It's all so fucking weird. Anyway, on January 27, 2006, the presiding New Jersey Superior Court judge handed Richard Rogers two 30 years to life sentences for the murders of Thomas Mulcahy and Anthony Marrero and another two 2.5 year minimum sentences for hindering apprehension in each case. Good. That's four sentences, all ordered to be served consecutively, resulting in a minimum of 65 years. He will be eligible for parole when he is 120 years old, slash is a corpse. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, Rogers unsuccessfully appealed his Mulcahy and Marrero conviction on the grounds that evidence should not have been presented at his trial about two other grisly murders. (laughs) By me a river. Yeah, keep that shit separate. We have rules, guys. <laughs> Was that okay? I didn't have time to learn all of the law slash figure out how court decisions are made, but so often we hear of trials where judges don't allow evidence of a conviction, even directly related to the charge. Constantly hear that. Constantly. Right. As of this date, Roger still maintains his innocence. Part six. This is the final part. Were there others? In parentheses, there were others probably. (laughs) (laughs) What the judge didn't allow at the trial was evidence tying Rogers to a 1982 murder in Central Florida. Matthew John Piero was a 25-year-old man. Various sources also stated he was 21 or 22. Last seen leaving a gay bar in Orlando. On April 10th, his body was found off of Interstate 4 in Lake Mary. Piero, quote, suffered multiple stab wounds and a bite on his chest that a dentist said was made by Rogers. Richard was alleged to have been in the area for a reunion at the time. (laughs) Two Connecticut cold cases occurring eight years apart also echo the grisly murder stylings of the last call killer. Megan says, I didn't find a ton of information directly tying him to these cases, but regardless, if he was responsible for their deaths or not, they were victims. Their loved ones are victims. Here are their names. Jack Franklin Andrews, 26, was known to hitchhike across the country. He was last seen at a rest area near I-95. 
In November 1986, his dismembered body parts, quote, were found wrapped in quilts and garbage bags at a rest stop on Route 8 in Litchfield. Investigators say Andrew's head, legs, and penis were never found. Mm. Sounds like our boy's fucking mm-hmm. modus operandi. He had prior arrests related to sex work. The rest area where his remains were found was known as a cruising site for gay men. Few witnesses were willing to give information. Benjamin Rosario, 45, was last seen having a drink with an unknown man at Side Effects Cafe in Bridgeport around 10 p.m. on August 1st, 1994. On August 3rd, police found three plastic garbage bags near the entrance of I-95 containing some of Rosario's body parts. Two more bags were found in Bridgeport the next day. According to a heartbreaking blog post written by Benjamin's niece in 2001, his head has never been recovered. For more detailed information on the murder victims, author Elon Green just released in March of this year his first book titled Last Call, A True Story of Love, Lust, and Murder in Queer New York. I haven't read it yet, but it's praised for, quote, humanizing the victims barely glossing over the man accused of stealing their lives from them and the many people who love them. The townhouse bar in New York City is currently closed due to the pandemic, but the spirit remains strong that they hope to reopen soon. And that is the case of the scumbag, predator, piece of shit, Richard W. Rogers Jr., the last call killer. Jesus Lord. Bravo. Megan. Fuck that guy. Bravo, Megan. Seriously. But like, why, Courtney? Well, why? because if you're a gay serial killer, you're having a good, good old time in the 80s and 90s in New York City. Like, yeah. prime time. Primo prime time. There was nothing more hated on this planet than a gay man yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Yep. So... Yeah. You can I mean, kill, kill them all countless. and get away with it. Seriously. Yep. A countless number of people just went missing one night and never showed up. I mean, there's no doubt he just murdered tons of people. Tons of people. Especially, once again, when you get away with it, openly admit to killing your roommate and potential mm-hmm. lover, openly admit to it, and get away with it, then, yeah, sure. Yeah. Scum baggage. Scum baggage. Hate it. So much. So much. And like Megan pointed out so beautifully, like it was already a community ravaged by AIDS. Like everyone mm-hmm. was terrified. Everyone was grieving. Everyone was fucking abandoned by their families, the government, the, every, you know, it was simultaneously like a fucking awesome time to be a gay man and the worst possible time to be a gay man. You know, to prey on them and then learn that that could have been stopped. Like, had the police taken him seriously the first two times? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Anyway, good job, Megan. Thanks, Megs. Such a good writer. I hope that you make us famous. (laughs) No, seriously. Uh, Gotta make us famous so we can pay Megan the big bucks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Give Megan your money. Give Megan your money. money. Woo. We'll take some of it too, but mostly for Megan. (laughs) 
Oh, well, good one, everybody. Thanks. Good yep. one, Court. Good one, Megan. I could not agree more. And good one, you guys. Good yeah, one for being guys. here every week. Yep, we appreciate it. It's really feel like important. The energy's shifting, Courtney. I know. I know. I feel like it's shifting. Better buckle up, babies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what any of this means, but no. in general, yeah. Yes, I think. Uh, what is it? November fucking twelfth, two thousand twenty-one, or whenever Biden was officially elected president <laughs> of the United States. Since then, twenty twenty, still, I think. <laughs> was it twenty twenty? No. Yeah. What? I don't it's twenty twenty-one. Right. God, yeah. that was that long ago. Holy yeah. shit! I know. Oh my god! I just jumped mm-hmm. timelines. You just heard me, <laughs> like, come back. Shoop. What yeah. the fuck? That was twenty twenty. I'm really bad with that too, though. Like I was writing down our new puppy's birth date, and I was like, "Okay, it's 2021. He's born in September of 2021. No, that hasn't happened yet, has it?" I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be back on this timeline where Joe Biden is our president, which occurred mm-hmm. in November of 2020, mm-hmm. and everything has been looking up, and the energy has been just gradually uh, short of my wife being hospitalized. Yeah. Um. Yeah, shit's getting better and better. Shit, yeah, it is. Thanks to you guys. And thanks to your suggestion of names to share. Once again, yes. we're getting a little little slimmer again, but they're still trickling in. Um, Brianna Button. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Although, so anybody who knows me knows that probably my least favorite movie is fucking Benjamin Button. That oh, yeah. movie... What? Mm-hmm. Huh? How did that happen? <laughs> a. B. How did everybody like it so much? I'm. It's mystifying. Yeah. I've never watched it because uh, one time I had you tell me about it and it was like the funniest thing that I've ever heard in my life. And so that was like, okay, I don't need to ever watch that movie. <laughs> Guys, anyone who's seen it. Benjamin Button, find somebody who hasn't and describe it to them and just enjoy <laughs> describing the movie Benjamin Button to somebody. So he starts out as an old man and he turns into a baby and Kate Blanchett's in love with the baby and she's holding his hand. Fuck that movie. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Uh, Jimbo Slaughter. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yes to that movie, that name. Yes. Was that the lawyer? I, I think it was. Attorney. Yeah. yeah. Jimbo Slaughter. Confirmed. It was confirmed by our listener. Oh my god, so good! And somebody who's a friend of a friend, I this I'm still not quite over this. Wrote us and said that there's a whole fucking clan of pancakes in Ugh. Central Indiana where we grew up. This friend of yeah. a friend lives, knows our friend from home. Yeah, so somewhere in Central where Indiana, where I currently live, where city. Yes, there are pancakes among us. Have been among us this whole time. Yep, my biggest mistake in my life was moving away and going to Portland and falling in love with Ryan. My biggest mistake. Because if I'd stayed home, yes. I probably would have married into the pancake family. I feel like it's like a sixth sense experience that I'm having where like the pancakes were there all along and I just chose not to see them. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I'm turning around, there's a montage of me, like, uh, Mrs. Pancake is right behind me at the fucking bank, and, like, I'm going to fall in love with 
Deborah Pancake, but like at the last minute, somebody <laughs> takes me away from her. Uh huh. Fucking yeah. pancakes. I. It's I, up to you. Your last yeah. chance to befriend a pancake. I'm Maybe divorce your husband and marry a pancake. I might have to. And have a baby happens. pancake. No, 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 no. Or I'm as done with, I'm done with that part. As the pancakes probably call them, a stack of pancakes. Oh God, I could be a stepmom to a stack of pancakes. <laughs> Is two? Does two qualify as a stack of pancakes? If you had two kids, could you call it a stack? If somebody said, "I'd like a stack of pancakes at a restaurant," could it no. just be two, or does it need to no. be three I or more? It, yes, three or more. Yeah, one hundred percent. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just a. A two of pancakes, <laughs> <laughs> a duo of pancakes. Yeah, dose yeah. pancakes. Dose oh. pancakes. I would like a two of pancakes, please. You don't want a stack? No, just a two. Takes extra butter. I don't even like pancakes, and now I want some. Um, what else do we got? Is that all the names? Oh, there was Mike Journey Cake. I used to work with a Mike Journey Cake, which I always thought was the best name. That is a really good name. It's just like a pancake, but they left home. <laughs> That's right. Journey cake. Got on a ship. Took a journey cake. <laughs> I've got more names on yeah. the flip side of things. Is there anything else we want to tell these fine people before we move into shout outs? Nope. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I know. All right. I would like to thank... All of our Patreon Patreon supporters. Thank you, Patrons. <laughs> Thank you so much to Callie. Yay, Callie. I know a Callie. And actually, that's fucking interesting because Clint and I came back into each other's lives after a brief hiatus from going to colleges on various coasts. When he showed up to Portland, Oregon, unannounced in a Sebring convertible with his best friend Callie and... I kept him there, basically. <laughs> I made him come back and live with us in Portland, where he met his husband. The rest is history. So, Callie, thank you for bringing one of my truest loves of my life back into my life in your Sebring convertible, champagne-colored, if I'm remembering correctly. Man. Mm-hmm. That's special. That's a rare name. It's a good one. Really good. Beautiful. Thank you so much to Tiffany B. Tiffany Beast Mode. Beast Mode! <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. Just let it <laughs> <There's> resonate. <laughs> mic drop. To know mic drop. <laughs> I don't know why a mic drop makes me really uncomfortable. I know. <laughs> Probably because it's like five years in the past. And I'm very hip to the trends. I'm up with the <laughs> trends. <laughs> uh, speaking of trends, I just recently like in the last two weeks discovered how wonderful tiktok is <laughs> oh my god sadie is so cute she came to my house she's like i'm sending me tiktoks watching tiktoks oh it's, my god it's incredible it's the best i had yeah. to the first day that i really started watching tiktok i <laughs> fell asleep and i was dreaming in one minute tiktok videos and i was like okay i gotta, I gotta back off a little bit <laughs> nope gen z like is totally it Why the, you... i know i'm that 38 year old Mom, that's like mm, TikTok is fun. Yep, do the anyway. dances. Da- I think it's okay to do it. full names because speaking of names, this one is 
really adorable. Yeah, I don't see why not. Do you think it's okay? I mean, okay. we're not exposing them as fucking criminals or something. <laughs> exposing them as people who give us money every supporters. month. Thank you so much to Heidi Tuggle. Uh, excise. Ugh. Hands crossed over chest. You know what that signifies? <laughs> D- died. Dead of it. Oh, Tuggle. So I know. I know, Heidi, if you don't want us to say your last name, we'll just edit it out and republish it. You just let us know. But thank you. I'll cry the whole time I'm editing it, because <laughs> the world needs to know you're out there. Uh, thank you so much to Morgan H. Morgan <laughs> has no time for your shit, but she does have time for kindness and attractive people and good behavior so true right yes because her name's morgan like morgan <laughs> <laughs> i can't think of any uh, morgan stanley is the only famous morgan I can oh think no of. you're not like morgan stanley except that you are rich in lots of ways so you are like man morgan stanley <laughs> the most famous of morgans <laughs> morgan fairchild Fairchild. Way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Morgan. See? Storgan. Morgan Storgan. <laughs> that fat old one. Uh, uh, thank you so much to Sky <laughs> L. <laughs> we're, we're moving on. How can I move on from Morgan Storgan? Sky L. Sky. Uh-huh. Like. Live, laugh, love. Sky, live, yes. laugh, love. <laughs> She's a fucking embodiment of it. She doesn't need a vinyl wall hanging because she is it. She lives, she laughs, she loves. Constantly. (laughs) Constantly. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, thank you so much to Angie W. Angie W. Angie, watch out. Coming for you. Mm -hmm. Get out of her way. (laughs) Better watch your back. (laughs) She will kill you. Wait, What? (laughs) I don't think with so. Love. I think with love and because she's so funny, you die from laughing. Yeah, or she's just gonna kill you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I've got a bad feeling about it. You tell me. I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh-huh. Look out, guys. Uh, uh, we really appreciate your support so much. So much. Oh my god, so much so much. This is wild that you guys give us money to do this. I know. We will keep doing it if you keep giving us money. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we have a a thing, if you want, you can sign up for a whole year and then you get, I think, 15% off or something. Right. And every time somebody does that, I think, okay, (laughs) all right, we got to commit for another year. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Not that I'm planning to like stop at all that's no. not at all but i just it's like motivation like okay we gotta like every time you sign up for another year i'm like yep yeah I'm, I'm there with you gotta see this commitment through that's Fucking right. goods exchange for services or whatever however you say it <laughs> yeah. i know because i'm bitcoin exchange for my voice in your ear nobody <laughs> understands how it works just like those nope. nfts or whatever the, have you heard about mm-hmm. that? I have zero idea how that works. Ryan, I'm sure, could tell us all about it. But... Yeah, you totally could. Yeah. I almost just closed my computer because I'm done with my <laughs> shout outs. <laughs> um, I won't do that. Yeah, don't do that. That would be um, an abrupt end. Yep. So 
that's all that's all we've got so we have a merch store i feel like we should mention that yeah and the merch that we've been ordering lately people have been sending us pictures we've been like sending it to like our international patreon supporters and yep. whatnot it's really cute i yes. just have to say it yeah it seems really well done yeah. well printed good quality very stuff, fast so. shipping very, very lightning fast shipping yes Um, I know it's like I sent some stuff to Australia and it's like it won't be there till May and I was like okay and then two days later I shit you not it's like already delivered yeah so yeah liars go get some stuff out of there out of the merch church Morgan Storgan (laughs) shops in the merch church (laughs) (laughs) say tell her I said hi Uh, I think I I think Morgan sweet Morgan is uh, the (laughs) person that helps groom my dogs (laughs) So I'm gonna have to when I see her next. I'll ask her about. Sup, Morg? Hey, Morgan. Morgan, Morgan Storgan. Storgan. <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm, I'm sure there are other Morgans in the world, but I'm pretty sure she is being very sweet to support us. So, hey, Morgan, we love yeah. you. Morgan Storgan's the fucking best. <laughs> oh Lord, uh, God, you guys! If you want to see some of the merch, go over to Instagram facebook yeah or twitter i don't know if you can see it on twitter but you can probably ask us to send you a picture through twitter and we'll do yeah, it yeah we have like uh almost 800 twitter followers that's so weird dude that's awesome know, we got like eight in the last 24 hours i'm like cool great so good because i check it <laughs> i tweet sometimes but not really oh it's awesome glad, yeah i'm glad you guys are there and the handle is at they will kill oh, you yeah. can go to our website they and you can Email us at they will kill podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, never gets old. We love it. it we, really helps we, us. We love it. They say thank you, AJ Bergans, for our music. Thank you so much. Those twins are getting old, so he's going to have to start his piano uh, I album gonna, soon. I thought you were going to say he's going to have to start his fucking <laughs> bank account for when I sue the his babies. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that too. Once they've reached the age of litigation. <laughs> so I mean sometimes you just gotta sue. Every family's got their rite of passage. Ours is getting sued. <laughs> Welcome to the family, AJ. <laughs> Papers in an envelope. That's how I welcome him. <laughs> Give these to your babies. <laughs> I'm just picturing their sweet little faces and their giant eyeballs. <laughs> Sitting in a deposition. <laughs> Fucking it up because they're babies. <laughs> Saying too much. They say too much every time. Oh, Lord. Um, and remember. Okay, so Sadie and I were at getting burritos at our favorite place when she was here. <laughs> and this woman was wearing a shirt and all it said in the hugest fucking possible font was dipshit. <laughs> it was also kind of like, uh, like country font. Country like kind of fancy, right? Fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a nice font. It wasn't like an aggressive big Johnson no. font. No. It was like, shit. it could have said like Loretta Lynn, but instead it said dipshit. Dip shit. Yeah. Was she calling herself a dipshit? Was she I, calling those, like, if you read her shirt, you're the dipshit? Right. Is the shirt a dipshit? Is uh, it referring to something else that's a dipshit? 
regardless, she's our queen. We salute you. Congratulations on having the fucking personality that can pull off wearing a shirt that simply says dipshit. This episode's for you. <laughs> yes, and subsequent episodes from here on out. <laughs> dipshit. Wasn't there is like queen. a tree in the background? Ugh. I'm trying to remember. I don't. I think in my mind it was just a that just a like. Bu- belt yeah. buckle kind of a look I said dipshit really huge <laughs> I don't remember any tree in the I don't remember <laughs> a scenery <laughs> a landscape <laughs> we love you guys uh, hey we love you so much and we will see you soon and goodbye Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.